1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500
2: The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is one of the largest in the world. And with a focus on public health, it has committed more than $350 million for the development of vaccines, diagnostics and therapeutics in the fight against the coronavirus. Bill Gates joins us now. Bill, thank you.
3: Great to talk to you.
2: Great to talk to you, too. Let's begin with today's disturbing numbers. The U.S. reported more than 1,000 coronavirus deaths for the first time since May. Do you think we're at a tipping point?
3: Well, unfortunately, we have a lot of young people who are infected, and over the next month or two, a lot of those infections will get up into older people, which is where you have the very uh, high risk of death and so uh it's kind of a race the innovations in therapeutics are reducing the death rate while this infection surge which you know is really unique to the u.s will get into the older population and drive that death rate up
2: you know several months ago you said we need a consistent nationwide approach to shutting down and you said back then that if it didn't happen, it would be a recipe for disaster. Do you think we're witnessing that disaster now?
3: Well, there's a lot of things we can go back, you know, and say, why wasn't there a federal testing plan? Why didn't we get the turnaround on the testing down? Why aren't we getting the tests out to low-income minority communities? Uh, You know, serious mistakes were made, some of which are because we didn't understand the virus very well. The understanding about the importance of mask came later uh, than we wish it had. And then the u s had the lowest compliance with mask use of uh, any country, um, you know, didn't have the the leadership message there. So, yes, we have a lot of regrets, uh, but you know we do have innovations in the pipeline that should reduce the death rate, and you know eventually, Uh, by the end of next year, get us out of this terrible situation.
2: I mean, I mentioned the mortality rate, infections skyrocketing, hospitalizations, you know, pushing hospitals to the brink in Florida, Texas, um, Arizona. What needs to be done immediately? Mm
3: -hmm. Well, the some of the uh, policies were a mistake, opening up bars the you know economic benefit versus the infection risk of a lot of activities like that uh, uh, made it a mistake. And so now in most of the U.S., we need to absolutely avoid those things. We need to distance, we need to use masks. Uh, we've seen that in Europe, uh, they had the dramatic fall off. It didn't spread into the other communities and that's because they Ah, uh, their leadership communicated with a clear voice. You know, their scientists were encouraged to go on TV instead of banned, uh, and so uh, you know the population benefited. Uh, the death rate in those countries has gone uh, down very dramatically.
2: Do you think that because Dr. Fauci has been prohibited from appearing on programs like ours, that that has hurt the public health message?
3: Well, the, the just the idea that the CDC isn't being heard from uh, and that Fauci's being limited, you never would have predicted that. Uh, it, it kind of, uh, you know, it, it is really unexpected that you won't let the experts uh, share. You know, Dr. Fauci has been able, through uh, <laughs> uh, a variety of vehicles, to get uh, some of his thoughts out. Uh, it's really the c d c that's been uh, uh, muzzled to a dramatic degree uh, that's holding back holding us back from getting the benefit of of their expertise as well
2: mm-hmm. you know um as a mom, I hear a lot about this. you be have parents we have teachers, we have schools, all in the midst of this decision about how to get kids safely back into the classroom or whether to learn totally online. So let me ask you, for the 60 million children in America, how can we do it safely?
3: Well, fortunately, the actual uh, um, number of young people who get sick is pretty modest. And so the big challenge here is how to get the teachers and the staff in uh, and to avoid those kids being a source of infection as they go back into their households. You know, I would say that the benefits for uh, kids, say, 13 and younger are uh, high enough that in most of the countries, you would hope uh, to be able to open schools for those kids. As you get up into high school and college, uh, then you know the infection rate, the amount of mixing, gets much higher. And so, if you're in a hot spot, sadly, in this fall, it won't be normal school activities for most high schools and colleges. Uh, you know, by fall 2021, which is a long time from now, I think we'll have things under control enough. But the entire academic year, uh, this next academic year, does hang in the balance on top of the learning deficits we have uh, coming out of last year. So, I, you know, I'd put that uh, after the deaths as the you know, next biggest cost uh, and one that, you know, people are having a tough time coming up with the right trade offs now because of the, the lack of, of clear messaging.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, how important do you think it is that kids return to school?
3: It's extremely important, and so, you know, no one should think uh, that, you know, this is is totally a political thing where it's black and and white. You want the staff uh, to feel safe that you're taking measures on their behalf, particularly if they're uh, older than than 65. Uh, but you want the learning to resume, and sadly. The suburban and private schools are much better at doing the online learning, where you're only coming into the classroom part of the time or or none of the time. Whereas the inner city, where we've always had uh, worse educational outcomes, and that's where low-income and minority children are uh, concentrated, they don't have the internet access or the teacher's uh, resources to go online. And so, you know, we should favor younger kids. We should favor the inner city. Uh, you know, we want to not have this be a dramatic increase in that educational gap.
2: But Bill, where is that discussion coming from? Where is the discussion to help public schools by saying, you know what, let's, let's split the, the students up. We'll bring in Group A, you know, a few days, group B the next few days. Let's give all of the kids, someone fun to give all the kids and teachers medical masks. Let's set up a app where, where kids can take a thermometer, give them thermometers, take at their temperature before they go to school, set up hand washing stations. I don't hear any of that discussion from whether it's states um, leaders, national leaders, city leaders, am I m- missing that?
3: Well, yeah, we're kind of stuck on the open them up completely versus, hey, if there's any risk, I don't want to go work there. And, you know, those are two extreme positions. So the nuance of going part of the time, favoring the inner city, favoring the younger kids, uh, having the policies and hotspots be more restrictive than in places uh, that have gotten further along. Uh, you know, ironically, some of the non hotspots right now are looking at being more restrictive than some of the hotspots are because of the uh, the political connection. So it's time for a, a discussion where it's not this black and white, hey, go in every day versus uh, not going in at all, to set the priorities and to have the other activities uh, reduced enough that you prioritize the slight infection increase that school activities will create and still stay below Uh, a a exponential uh, growth in infections.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Bill, one of our viewers texted us this question. His name is Eric. He's actually from Washington state where you are. And he asked, would you send your children to public school in this current situation?
3: Um, If the school is being careful, then yes. Uh, Now, if they live in a multi-generational household, you know, where you have old people that they're exposed to, you have to look how hard would it be for you to reduce the, you know, grandparents' exposure to those kids. If you live in a single-generational household and you have a school that's being careful, uh, then uh, I do think it's reasonable to say, you know, my kid can get that, uh, the educational opportunity, uh, you know, particularly as, as the kids are younger. People will have the freedom to make choices here, but we do need to remember it's mostly the transmission into the older people that drives these, you know, really horrific uh, deaths per day.
2: As we're talking about a record number of infections every now being every day being reported, the president said just this weekend that the U.S. has the lowest mortality rate in the world. Is that factually correct?
3: Not at all, not even close. I mean, uh, by almost every measure, uh, the U.S. is one of the worst. And uh, I think we can change that, but uh, it's a ugly picture.
2: Why are we one of the worst?
3: Uh, We opened up. We actually had criteria for opening up that said you had to have cases declining, and we opened up with cases increasing. Uh, You know, we somehow got masks as this politicized thing uh, that you know, somehow, uh, you know, and some like harbinger of freedom that just covering your mouth uh, was, was awful. And, you know, so we, hey, now we can move forward. Uh, you know, now we have the president saying that he hears from some people uh, that it's good to wear a mask. And so let's, let's run with that um, and try to get compliance levels up to something like the European level.
2: We well, want to turn now to the race for a cure. We've seen a lot of promising news uh, this week on the vaccine front. Um, what do you make of the results from AstraZeneca and Moderna?
3: Well, it's very hard to characterize complex scientific things in a sort of simple-to-understand format. We don't know if these vaccines will work. Uh, We don't know if they'll work to avoid deaths. We don't know if they'll work to avoid transmission. That's why we're working on so many first-generation vaccines and a whole bunch of second-generation vaccines that, uh, you know, although they'll take more time, they are more likely to be extremely effective. It's great the U.S. government has been willing to fund vaccine manufacturers. Uh, Our foundation is partnered with them on that. That's something in my regular phone calls with Dr. Fauci, we update each other on, okay, how are we working with various companies? You know, which ones do we think uh, uh, we need to add to the mix there? What is the scalability going to be so that not just the U.S., but the entire world gets the vaccine? So, yes, I am very hopeful Uh, in innovations in both therapeutics and vaccines. The advanced therapeutics will come first, but in 2021, probably in the first half, we're gonna get some uh, good vaccine tools and uh, that'll be a big milestone.
2: So next week marks a huge milestone. Uh, We have Operation Warp Speed is going to begin phase three for four of these vaccines. Um, right here in the US, they are trying to do 30,000 for each of those four vaccines, about 120,000 people totally. When will we know? How do we know if these vaccines are working?
3: Well, they, there's three things you'd like from a vaccine. You'd like it to be very safe in all the populations uh, that you indicate it for, no side effects. You'd like it to block transmission and you'd like it to avoid the individual who gets the vaccine getting sick. Uh, The phase three endpoint is slightly different than those things uh, so that we can accumulate events quickly. So we aren't doing it uh, like a long-term vaccine thing. And even calling it warp speed uh, is scary because it suggests you know that you're willing to make trade-offs against safety, which you should never be willing to do. The FDA uh, is being pressured to allow uh, what's called just a correlate approval. Fortunately, they've held the line on that uh, to this point because we wouldn't know enough uh, just based on on the antibody levels. And you know the these trials. Uh, the bad news, of course, when we have many cases, is good news for the trials in that they may accumulate events faster than they would have otherwise. But there'll be a lot of uncertainty about how good these vaccines are. You know, the first generation, they set a 50 percent effectiveness and they won't know the duration there. So these are going to be likely partial solutions that will improve over time. and And so it's too bad uh, you know, people think that just that phase three approval will be the end of the epidemic.
2: Well, I want to ask you. You mentioned side effects. Um, the side effects for the Moderna vaccine sound concerning. We looked after the second dose. At least eighty percent of participants experienced a systemic side effect, ranging from severe chills to fevers. So. Are these vaccines safe?
3: Well, the uh, the FDA not being pressured will look hard at that. The FDA is the gold standard of regulators uh, and their current guidance on this, if they stick with that, is is very, very appropriate. Uh, And, you know, the, 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 the side effects were not super severe. That is, it didn't cause permanent health problems for uh, the things that they, you know, Moderna did have to go with a fairly high dose. And so, uh, you know, to get the antibodies, some of the other vaccines uh, are going able to go with lower doses to get uh, responses that are are pretty high, including the the J&J and the Pfizer. And so there's a lot of characteristics of these vaccines. Um, It's great that we have multiple of them. that but are bill, going everybody, out there. And, and yes, I you, think you know, the data the better than I do.
2: But the bill bill the, the data showed that everybody with a high dose had a, a side effect.
3: Yeah, but some of that is is not dramatic where, you know, it's just, you know, super painful. But yes, there mm-hmm. we need to make sure there's not severe side effects. The FDA, uh, I, I, I think will do a good job of that uh, despite the pressure.
2: How many doses of the vaccine will we need?
3: Well, none of the vaccines at this point appear like they'll work with a single dose. That was the, the hope at the very beginning. Uh, maybe one of them, particularly in the second generation, won't surprise us. We hope just two, although in the elderly, sometimes uh, it, it takes more. And, and so making sure we have lots of elderly people in the trial will give us that data.
2: You've said some more than seven billion doses. That's what we'll need.
3: Well, if if what you're trying to do is block all the transmission, then you need to get, you know, 70, 80 percent coverage on a global basis so that, you know, it's unbelievably big numbers.
2: I mean, you're talking about a global vaccination program without a vaccine that hasn't been fully developed yet and a massive scaling up of how to produce one or several vaccines. I mean, it's just. It's mind boggling to think about this effort.
3: But the the private companies have stepped up. Uh, The science has been advanced. The you know, the U.S. funds biological research more than any other country. We've stepped up to fund these vaccine manufacturers. The plants are being worked out now. Uh, You know, in 2021, I there's a good chance this can get done. And because you know, this is about the billions that we need to spend to save to save trillions and avoid all those deaths.
2: But who's going to get the vaccine first?
3: Uh, that's in discussion. Clearly, the U.S., uh, by funding uh, factories in the U.S., will get priority. But if we can have other factories and this is where uh the U.S. government's traditional generosity in global health will, will be needed, our foundation will be needed, other countries. We want to make sure that we don't have people dying just because they can't afford to have access to the vaccine. And so that speaks to the you know, the, the top priority of our foundation. And, and there's good discussions going underway. The U.S. in this next relief bill may uh, put 1% of it to make sure we stop the vaccine, the pandemic uh, in the entire world, and then that'll draw other countries into that effort.
2: I want to ask you about today the government support, taxpayer money that's going towards vaccine development. Today, uh, we learned Pfizer is going to get nearly two billion, Moderna receiving four hundred and thirty-eight million dollars in taxpayer money, and yet both companies have said they will not sell the vaccine at cost. They're going to make a profit on it. Should pharmaceutical companies profit off this vaccine research that taxpayers have helped fund?
3: Well, the Pfizer case is more of a procurement agreement than an R and D funding agreement. Uh, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson have, have said they're going to use a, a non-profit construct. Uh, you know, the exact contracts that uh, were negotiated. I don't have access to. But, yes, you'd want to balance the fact who's taking the risk uh, and, and who gets the benefit uh, of those things. It's, well, a, it's fantastic that the research is being funded. And, you know, I hope those agreements uh, in terms of pricing and access are, are very strong.
2: I mean, we heard from the HHS secretary say today that the vaccine will be free for Americans, so, or affordable. So that means the government will help purchase it from companies that are making a profit off of that we helped fund the research for. Do you see any problem with that?
3: Well, some of the vaccines are being done by companies on a nonprofit basis. Uh, a few have decided, you know, otherwise. And so if you have equivalent vaccines, you know, the one that's the cheapest will be the one that we go with. And we may have, you know, many choices here uh, that uh, some of which look like, you know, the production costs will be quite low. So I, uh, I do honestly think both in therapeutics and in vaccines will end up that it'll be a very clear deal uh, what should be purchased and uh, that'll be worked out. Whether if people second guess the early border contracts, that's not really the key issue. We, we will get a good deal on the vaccine and we need the world to get uh, a good deal on it. Uh, and there are many of the companies have committed themselves to that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gates Foundation is one of the largest funders of vaccine research in the world. Vaccines save millions and millions of people around the world every year. Are you concerned about a growing anti- vaccination disinformation campaign that exists on social media?
3: Yeah, it's always a concern because vaccines are so key to keeping measles deaths down. You know, vaccines helped us eradicate polio. Uh, Vaccines are so important. They've played the primary role in cutting child to death in half over the last 20 years. That our foundations foundation, the U.S. government have been very involved in that. So explaining how careful we are about vaccine safety is super important. Uh, During a pandemic, I can understand people's anxieties levels going up, uh, but, you know, explaining what the the testing is doing, we will need a lot of people to uh, be willing to take the vaccine to stop the transmission.
2: You have been the subject of a disinformation campaign. In fact, the posts on social media about you and coronavirus are considered the most widespread coronavirus falsehoods that exist. So I want to address some of them. To be clear, do you want a vaccine so that you can implant microchips into people?
3: No, there's no connection between any of these vaccines and any tracking type thing at all. I don't know where that came from.
2: And yet there was a poll by YouGov and Yahoo that shows 44% of Republicans, 19% of Democrats, and 24% of independents think that you want to do that. How did this conspiracy start?
3: I don't know. Uh, You know, Dr. Fauci and I are, sort of the two most mentioned and and some of these are deeply ironic like you know our foundation is about reducing death and you know bringing equity uh, to health. and yet the idea that you know we get accused of of creating uh, you know chips or the the virus, uh, you know I, I think we just need to get the truth out there. We need to mm-hmm. explain our values uh, so that people understand why we're involved in, in this work and, and why we're willing to put hundreds or billions uh, to accelerate the progress. It's a little unclear to me, but you know, I hope it'll die down as, as people get the facts.
2: I know, but I wanna ask you this because you're a co-founder of Microsoft. You travel in the circles of many of these tech leaders who control these companies. I know you know them. Um, there was a Facebook post. Um, with that widely debunked conspiracy theory that says that you want to do that, it was shared tens of thousands of times. It's still on Facebook. And I reached out to Sheryl Sandberg today about it. Uh, Facebook has told me that they will send it to review about whether to take it down. Does Facebook have a responsibility to do more in terms of shutting down this misinformation?
3: Yeah, well, they are willing to get rid of anti-vaccination messages that are you know false there uh and you know so there's a constant dialogue about okay uh how do they make sure that these completely false things don't get out there you don't want to suppress you know normal dialogue about uh safety studies but the conspiracy theories uh they you know are starting to step up on and um you know, we feel like we have a good dialogue with them about how to do that.
2: I want to ask you about what appears to be a growing testing crisis in America with long lag times in order to get test results back, especially in Sunbelt states. All most of the tests to date have been PCR tests and the nasal swab tests. Where are we in terms of a rapid diagnostic test? You've talked about this a lot. It would be a test that is like an in-home pregnancy test. Where are those tests?
3: Uh, in the next uh, two to four months, some of those tests will get approved. Now, they won't be as accurate uh, as the PCR, which is a molecular test. And so over the next few months, we have to up PCR capacity. We have to get results back in 24 hours as we roll out the uh, the paper test. We need both. And the lag times that we have today are completely unacceptable. It's making most of our tests uh, pretty much worthless.
2: You've written that this is like a world war; that it's us against the virus, essentially, and we all need to be on the same side. I have a question about whether we are all on the same side, because yesterday the FBI charged two Chinese spies with trying to steal U.S. vaccine research. Is China on our side?
3: Well, certainly China uh, is working on vaccines. You know, th- these are not like military weapons. The you know there's going to be broad understanding of how these vaccines are made and tested all the data is you know filed you know so people can understand the results so it's it's strange uh it doesn't make sense to me there's really no deep trade secret thing there um you know the chinese vaccines aren't uh as far along as the european and and us vaccines but uh you know, yes, I think, think we all want to bring this pandemic to an end.
2: Bill Gates, thank you so much for joining us and for all of the information. We appreciate it.
3: You bet. Thank you. If you like the
0: CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. If you enjoy tuning in to the CBS Evening News, there are official t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more available for purchase at ParamountShop.com. These products are perfect for any fan of Evening News, and you can take 20% off with code Evening20. That's 20% off all CBS Evening News products with code Evening20 at ParamountShop.com.